0: This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, and in Malibu. Aloe was created by our friend, the great Bob Forrest, and his friend, Evan, and their friends, Jared and Bob, and it was created as a place where addicts can go to be treated with compassion rather than control. They saw a problem, and they wanted to make a treatment center that was better for addicts. When you get there, they make sure you detox as comfortably as possible, which is great if you're kicking heroin or benzos or alcohol or really anything. They treat co-occurring mental health disorders. They have decades of experience, and they have amenities out the ass, including sound bath meditation, The Incredibly Spiritual Sweat Lodge Fucking Surfing Equine Therapy I know people that have been to Aloe They said it was one of the best experiences they ever had I I have somebody there now Who's who's just doing so well Uh, If you're fucked And you're willing to go to sunny Southern California To get help I strongly recommend going to Aloe This episode of Dopey Is also brought to you by listeners like you Through the Dopey Patreon page There's going to be big changes in the Dopey Patreon page. So guys, get ahead of the curve. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. If you uh, love Dopey and you want to help out, throw a few bucks. Either way, do your thing. Big changes coming in the Dopey Patreon page, so look for it. Also, we still have ski hats, we have snapbacks, we have stickers, and we have exclusive socks that I'm wearing right now, all available uh, if you Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. There are still shirts and hoodies and long sleeves at DopeyPodcast.com. Look for big changes in that, too. Enough of the uh, shenanigans and advertising corporate capitalistic stuff. Here's the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave and um I'm really really happy to be with you guys tonight. I'm fucking in the attic. It's like it's Friday night and it's 9:12, which means the show is going to be out a little bit late. It's 9:12 at night and I'm drinking my second cup of fully caffeinated coffee and it's this stupid keto coffee with heavy whipping cream and stevia. So like the keto shit is going on and uh and I'm up and I'm psyched to be doing another episode of Dopey. I feel pretty pretty excited about this episode that's coming out. Uh we have a special guest, a hardcore singer called John Joseph from the Cro-Mags. and he like drops Dopey on uh on me like you wouldn't believe. You guys are going to be I don't know. It's going to beat the living dopey out of you or something. It's pretty pretty wild. But I just want to give you guys an update as to what is happening. First of all, like I said, I'm still doing this fucking keto diet. And for the most part, it's not a big deal. Um, although I do feel very restricted. But I also have lost a bunch of weight. But the thing I really miss is before doing dopey, putting out a bowl of cereal like a mixture of life And the organic graham cracker cereal and the frosted mini wheats with chocolate chips in it and chocolate syrup and milk. That's what I like to eat before I record Dopey. And then I like to eat uh, dark chocolate, like 60% dark cacao chocolate as I record Dopey. And all that is gone. But just to give you total transparency, Linda buys these fucking Stevia chocolate chips and they have very little... They have no sugar and very little carbs. So I ate like 10 of these fucking chocolate chips, which are good. And then I had two cups of the Stevia heavy whipping cream uh, coffee. And I told somebody that I've given up this, the sugar for the Stevia. And they said, that means I'm going to get cancer. So if anybody in the Dopey Nation knows anything about uh, cancerous sugar substitutes, please drop a line to dopeypodcast at com. And in other news... After all that dog stuff, um, Linda and I got the fucking dog. And it's a little dog. It's part chihuahua, part rat terrier. And uh, it turns out I like the dog. The dog is very sweet, but the dog has fucking behavioral issues. The dog has been growling at all of Nora's friends, our 10-year-old daughter brings her friends over. The dog growls. The dog barks. And even worse than that, the dog tried to bite Linda's father's face So uh, we're kind of at a crossroads with the dog. Now all of a sudden I like the dog, but Linda kind of wants to get rid of the dog. And um, more will be revealed. We will find out the fate of the dog next week on the Dopey Podcast. But the interview of the week is this dude, John Joseph. He came out of a New York City hardcore band called the Cro-Mags. He was a Harry Krishna monk. He lives a plant-based lifestyle that he's been totally uh, committed to since, like, 1980. He's an Ironman competing in 11 Ironman competitions, and he's, like, he's the real thing. Here he is, John Joseph. All right, so we're in Chelsea at my dad's house. This is very exciting because there's a dude who's a big fan of the show, and he wrote me, and he's like, you should get this guy, John Joseph, from the cro on the show. I'm thinking that guy's never going to want to come on this stupid show. But I write John Joseph uh, on Instagram, and you're like, "I want to do it." So welcome to Dopey.
1: Why not? Thanks for having me. And uh, you know, it's uh, most
0: important thing is keep the mic right up to your mouth because your your voice is too good and your story is yeah. too good. I don't want to lose anything.
1: How about a mic stand? You want a mic stand? Yeah, yeah why not, See, so You I got it. Well, yeah,
0: here. yeah. Make yourself comfortable. This
1: is what I do for a living, uh, you know, hold mics and stuff. Now, so how's
0: that? That's great. You sound- yeah,
1: but I wanted to come on. I checked out the content of the show and what you guys are uh, and what you're dealing with, and uh, you know, so uh, here I
0: am in the flesh. And uh, I, I was telling John, I was, I was listening. He did a big three and a half hour fucking Joe Rogan appearance, and I was thinking, I'm going to learn everything I need to know from this. Yeah. But then I realized that he had a book, so I went I back. Got three books. actually. He has Evolution of a Chromag. He has meat is for pussies. And what's the third one? The PMA effect, which uh, dropped last year. The PMA effect is the most interesting one for me yeah. because John talks about positive mental attitude as PMA.
1: Well, that's uh, what it stands for. It's uh, Where did it come from? Uh, originally from the Napoleon Hill uh, teachings, and then HR copped it. Uh, I believe in like 79 when they wrote Attitude and, and, you know, and when I met them, which we can get into, I was uh, fucked up, smuggling, drug dealer in the Navy and
0: just- What was the Napoleon thing?
1: Napoleon Hill. What is that? He's a writer. So he wrote a lot of books on success, how to become successful through a positive mental attitude and- like, you uh, wear the headphones. so you no, I hear, don't need them. But you can hear yourself. You I, could, I can hear myself fine. Right. You know, uh, yeah, so he wrote a bunch of books on self-help and becoming successful and stuff like that, but uh, very intense uh, individual. And, um, and HR from Bad Brains. HR from Bad Brains read his books and then kind of took the PMA thing and ran with it. And put in this song, Attitude. Don't care what people might say, we got that attitude. Don't care what people might do, we got that attitude. Yeah, we got that PMA. And then, uh, you know, when I met him and, uh, you know, it, it was just a life,
0: uh, life-changing life uh, experience. 1980, like early spring. And when you heard him first talk about PMA as positive mental attitude, it was like a bolt of lightning to your head like uh, it hit the White House or Not whatever. exactly,
1: because I was in a fucking... Uh, kind of drug haze, but you know the, the you know uh, the thing about sound vibration is the most powerful thing in the planet. Like they say, like even after you die and your body, your soul is hovering. Like you can actually still hear for a period of time. That's uh, because the sound is still the traveling sound vibration. Into your ears. Yeah, so it's like you know. So the thing was the seed was planted and and it took a lot of other crazy shit to go down for me to start paying attention to it. And most of that was uh, with uh, drugs and, and alcohol and near-death experiences of uh, just growing up on the streets and, and street fights and, and all that type of stuff.
0: Now, the first thing, and I don't know if this is funny or not funny or whatever, I, we're in the apartment where I grew up, and I grew up in a pretty cushy, middle-class Jewish life. My parents were both teachers in the board of ed, and I grew up, you know, I went to, to high school in Manhattan, and I lived in Manhattan my whole life, and I never got into the hardcore scene. Like, it just wasn't yeah. my thing. I played in ska bands, and I went, played punk bands and whatever. I hung out, and I saw Chromax posters. And I, but I never got into hardcore music, and I was, I was listening to some of it, and I was listening to some Bad Brains lately just to try to, like, tap into you. And I was like, what could get somebody angry like this is what was my thought, like, because I came from this very cushy, easy life, and then i started listening to your book and i and i read how you grew up yeah and like to talk about how you grew up i mean it was i mean people grow up hard and you came up fucking hard
1: yeah it was uh you know it, it was uh it was horrific but that's uh everybody has a, a path in life that they they have a set of circumstances they have to deal with uh you know because of uh, my father's uh alcohol problem Irish boxer in New York City. In the 50s and 60s, uh, the family, you know, he basically uh, beat the crap out of my mom constantly. I didn't even find out till I was 40 that he actually... She left him and broke in and raped her, and that's how I was conceived. And uh, How did you find that out? Because I wrote the book, and then I was like, some shit went down, and I was writing the book simultaneously, so there was a lot of my brother was an addict i had to do an intervention on him the day before 911 it just i'm like how do i end this fucking book and you know the way the universe played it out was i'm going to be living the fucking ending and this is how the book's going to end so it was like it started with uh my mother's uh husband at the time was a gambler and gambled away the house behind her back so when they got divorced she was homeless so I had been doing all right with the music and the business and everything that I was dealing with at the time so I got her in an apartment and furniture and everything and um at the same time uh my brother was dealing with addiction. He, he overdosed, almost died. He was in comas, like all kinds of crazy shit. And then September 10th, 2001, I did an intervention on him. This lady called me up. She's like, your brother's in my attic in Staten Island. If you don't come get him, he's going to be dead. So I went over there, took the ferry back with him, and sending him down to the Caribbean, to St. Thomas, to detox, where with a, with a friend who runs a rehab down there, the Morrison brothers. happens. He don't fucking leave. He's detoxing in my fucking house. Right. And everything that comes out with that, the crying and all the fucking childhood trauma. No, he was kicking pills and booze and fucking cocaine. And, like, you know, he did everything. He was a garbage pail. And, um, you know, we had a lot of fucked up shit happen to us in this foster home because the state took us away, so... Uh, that was all becoming to the surface again, and I was writing about it. And then like, uh, he couldn't get out of New York for like three weeks, so I had to deal with that. And then the thing that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was uh, when we were being abused in the foster home, my mother's boyfriend at the time didn't want us around. So she chose him over us, and we had to stay in this foster home for six years. They terrorized us and did Dude, the, the descriptions the you descriptions could imagine. descriptions in
0: that book about that. Just, yeah. and, and Dopey Nation, John Joseph had been through the mill in every which way. The funniest bit of torture was the fact that the woman in the house the loved... Oreo spit yeah, sandwiches. She loved and, the outside of the Oreo cookie and yeah. made you eat the, the cream from well, her she mouth. She spit it in a bowl. Did you ever eat Oreos again? Nah, nah. No. But of course, you became this crazy health. Well, they're person. they're even
1: vegan, but I still would never fucking eat an Oreo. But uh
0: yeah, the they, Oreos
1: are vegan. Yeah,
0: but you would but never eat it because food. of Mrs. Valente? I would never eat it anyway. Yeah. Was there ever a moment in your life where you were eating badly and you could try to have a positive? Well, that's
1: why I was always uh food was always an issue. We were starved. We had to like steal the dog's food. Yeah. Literally, I would steal the dog's fucking. Milk bone biscuits and eat them fucking things because we were so hungry.
0: Because these bastards who had you in their, yeah, in their house. Yeah,
1: they just did it for the money. They had a bunch of kids, they got the money. And
0: uh I didn't mean to cut you off though, because you no, were you it were, was
1: alright. Well what I was saying was that this this you know we never said anything. We we kept a diary to what they did with us because my mother was kinda of suicidal at times. Like, took a bunch of pills one time, tried to kill herself and all kinds of other shit. So we didn't want to upset her because we always thought, hey, you know, there's a chance we're going to get to go home with her. But, like, the boyfriend didn't want us around. So then fast forward, uh, you know, decades later, I get her this apartment and, uh, and I get this call. She's like... Uh, you know, and I'm dealing with all this stuff with my brother. I'm writing about the shit that happened to me as a kid, which also was very difficult because I had never told anybody. Really, it was like this secret. I never talked about my childhood. I talked about being on the streets and selling drugs and getting shot, and and um, but never the abuse or the uh, you know the sexual abuse that was done to us. It was the big like you don't go you don't go there. And uh, so that shit all came to the surface. And then I get this call one day and she's like, she's like, I need to talk to you. I said, what? And she goes, I don't want you to be mad. I said, what? And, and she says, Carl moved in with me. I let him move in. The dude that didn't want us around. So then I was like, I flipped the fuck out. I was like, how the fuck could you do that? Like, after everything that I went through to let... Of all motherfuckers, you let him move in. Like, she's like, I was lonely. I was like... It's always about you. It was always about you. You know, and then I started throwing fucking insults. Like, you never fucking loved us. You you know, you fucking... All kinds of... You know, she didn't even know we were sexually abused in the home. And I fucking... That shit came out. All the resentment. Everything just came out. I said, those motherfuckers did fucked up shit to us, and we never... She's like, what? And then I was like, I just started going off on her. And she was like, stop. And then she just broke down, and that's when she was like, the only one I ever... I never knew her story, you see? Then she said, the only one I ever wanted to have and planned to have was your older brother. E. E. After your father beat me, and like, senseless... And uh, I left him And then he broke in And raped me And that's how you would conceive
0: And the same with your younger
1: brother And the same with my younger brother So then there's this new information And then that's how You know We became tighter because of it I swear to God We sat there And when she told me that And I told her what happened to me And it was both new information For both of us We sat there literally silent For at least five minutes Sobbing And never Didn't say a fucking word. Right, and then I was like, I gotta go. And then you know, we this was when the book first came out. We've been uh, close, you know. That was like what ten years ago, whatever, eleven years ago. We've been like close ever since. Like you know, it's been. How's she doing? She's doing great. She went plant based after her heart attack. She finally started listening to me, and you know, now that I know all the shit that then the little stories came out. Over the years, like, she came to the book, the book, uh, I did a book release party, and I read some stuff, and she had to leave. She
0: was just... Too painful.
1: Yeah, and I even tried to give the funny moments, but she knew what was in the book, and it upset her, and my aunt was there, and had to, like, you know, took her out, and, uh, you know, but we, you know, all the little stories, like how my father would just show up and beat the shit out of her, and take any money she had to feed us for his new wife and their kid. Uh, And, you know, she was like, here I am 22 years old with three kids and no way to feed you and depressed and I had to take pills and then all this other shit and then the state, you know, the landlord found us, well, landlady found us one day out in the snow in our underwear, filthy dirty, my mom was passed out in the house on pills the house we we hadn't eaten a fucking meal and that's when they just she had to surrender us to, to the Angel Guardian uh orphanage. Right. And then they found a
0: foster home. And the first one was a good one though. The first Sheridans. one
1: was a good one, yeah. The Sheridans. And then there was like one There was one place before that, it was like some projects in Brooklyn, this fan, I can't even remember what the fuck it was, but I just remember they kept serving us that that shit called hash in the can. It was like... What, corned beef hash? Yeah, like Alpo looking shit. My mother
0: loved corned beef hash in the can.
1: Yeah, and then they took us out of there, and then we went (laughs) to the Sheridans, and then I think the mother got cancer or whatever, and then... uh, we then they put us. Then that's when we went to Long Island to that fucking foster home and hell and 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 uh, yeah and it was it was it was hell you know like but uh, we we stuck together, ended up on the streets that they we they closed that house down finally, we told the social worker and then they took all the kids out and then they split us up. My brother went to another foster home in the Five Towns in Lawrence and then. Me and uh, E went to St. John's Home for Boys in right. Rockaway Beach right, right. in the spring of 76. So then we were there for the bicentennial. The Ramones were hanging out. I started getting into like, you know, punk rock and stuff like that. And what going. was the
0: first punk band you, you were into? Uh,
1: well, I liked Bowie. As a matter of fact, I was in a foster home in Garden City and I used to dress. Like, we, after the Valentes, they, they, they put us... Uh, this family took us in who had the same last name. Like, my name is John Joseph McGowan. McGowan. yeah. So they found these McGowans in Garden City who were, like... He was the president of the bank. Like, we, we went from, like, sleeping in a garage on the floor to, like, a mansion. And we were like, what the fuck? And I just remember, like, the first smell... It was so vivid. It was a smell when we walked into that because we went in through the garage into the house. It was one of those things, fucking Mercedes there, and and, and I smelt something I'd never smelled before, and that was laundry soap. Wow, they had washer and dryer in the in the uh, in the garage because they would make us wear the clothes until they fell off, and then go back to the pour box. And get more clothes. And you described the
0: bath at the Valentis yeah. as being like they wouldn't let you take fresh baths. No, we
1: couldn't take fresh baths. So like we had to like all bathe in the same water, like six kids, and they wouldn't even run the vacuum cleaners. We had to clean their carpets with. She had like five, five or six brand new toilet brushes, and all the kids would, you know, uh, like be there fucking scrubbing her carpets with the toilet bowl brushes. But then, like, you know, we found out where uh, she stashed the money, and we started stealing every day and eating. Uh, So it was like, I always say, like, scam artists are not born that way. You know, it's necessity's the mother of invention. So we had to learn how to hustle. We would go to fucking church. They would drop us off at church. We would go in the front door, out the back door, and then panhandle and say, like, oh... Uh, my mother didn't come pick us up. Can you give us a quarter for the phone? And we're really hungry, too. So then we would go to the Dunkin' Donuts and, like, fucking buy donuts, and we would eat our way up and
0: down the aisles of the supermarket when they would send us out to get... It's totally, like, the the most Dickensian New York fucking story you can read. Um, and... Uh, it's great. I mean, the writing is great. Yeah. And, and another thing I love that you talked about in that section was when your older brother joined the two of you, you realized, like, one of the greatest medications that you'd ever get was joking around, was having fun.
1: Yeah, it was comedy got us through everything. It was like... You know,
0: Which at- was the point of d- us doing Dopey in the first place yeah. The point of us doing Dopey was to find a way To laugh at the worst shit that had happened to us To make sense of it mm. and, and, and to not like Because we couldn't live as saints And we couldn't live like as these highly uh, like, evolved people Because of all the dumb shit that we had done and the, and the other thing is that I mean I've been doing this show for A little more than four years now And I don't think I've had many addicts on the show Who came from total trauma you know, which is right. which is such a obvious place that addicts come from, and, and I mean, like your story and your mother's story, there's so much trauma in it that mm. that, that, that kind of birthed the addiction. Uh, when is the first time you started getting high? Um,
1: you know, I would go home on visits and take my mother's valiums. So I was probably, I want to say, twelve. You know, she had the blue, which were the 10 milligrams. Yeah, 10 milligrams, yeah. So I started taking those and smoking cigarettes and then smoking weed, 74, 75, uh, drinking. She took us home for a visit once, and we went to like a, a resort in Ingleside Farms, it was called, in the Catskills. And I was fucking smoking hash and drinking straight vodka. I got in a fight with this dude and fucking threw up all over everything. They're like, never bring him back here. <laughs> you know, we just wild like you know. Uh, the, you, you know, you try to push all of that into the subconscious mind. What was happening, and the way we do that is by self medicating. Like, I never went to a drug rehab program. I never went to fucking 12-step program, no meetings, no nothing. Everything that I did um, to to quell the fucking demons and all that shit was through ridiculously hard training. That's why I do Ironman still to this day. I've done 11 of them and a half Ironman and sprint uh, and uh, Olympic distance, triathlons, marathons. In the gym, martial arts—it's—it's it's always been to, you know, replace the negative
0: shit with—with with positivity, and also the Hari Krishna, those stuff,
1: big time. I because was that's a the higher two power. Years. I mean, yeah, you got to tap. That was how I when I came off. Uh, I, I relapsed into crack and pills and fucking alcohol and everything. I never liked heroin because I just thought it made you stupid. It does. Uh, it, it, it's just like like... And I lost my first girlfriend to dope and I was a fucking heroin mule when I left St. John's home for boys. I was, just, I was
0: just listening to that part of the story.
1: So, like, the first time they shot, they injected me, and I did dope with these junkies in Rockaway. They shot me up in my hand, and fucking I fucking puked all over the place. I didn't like it. I was like, this ain't my drug. I was into, like, two-and-alls and placidils and fucking second-all and speed and dust and every other fucking drug under the sun. Except I didn't I didn't dig dope. That's fine. You know and and, and <laughs> it's then probably, like, you're probably better and for then, it. you know, my girl, uh the first girl, the friend that I cared about really was uh she she OD'd and, and I found her and, and you I, found her dead. Yeah, I found her like in the bungalows on hundred and sixteenth street, uh in Rockaway, you know, and uh, I was like you know, I just I always I lost a lot of friends. We just you you just you lost your your lost guy, but we of, yeah. lost yeah Todd Youth last year uh, died of a heroin from blood clot. The new band I'm doing, we got signed to Metal Blade, a fucking records doing amazing. He you know goes on this we go on the first tour opening up for Negative Approach. The fucking shit's about to take off. His girl decides she don't want to be with him no more, in the marriage. And he fucking relapsed and he got. He was a, he
0: was a heroin addict before, yeah. Right?
1: But he got wow. hold of that fentanyl, right? It's like he did dope, and there was fentanyl in it, and he just fucking died. So like, you know, and uh, this other girl I used to go out with, she was like a top model for Elite, okay, uh, Shauna, and then she fucking got into fucking dope. To you know, models they were always dope doing the fucking dope to stay skinny and not eat
0: and uh I always wound up gaining weight on heroin Yeah, somehow.
1: she she just uh I don't know, you know, but she, she fucked the whole modeling career up and everything and actually ended up with this other dude and injecting and then got AIDS and, and died from from heroin. Oh my god. So like it's it's just been, you know, growing up in New York City, you hear all the, all the horror stories and witness the horror stories. So uh you know, When I relapsed it in uh, '88, it was first started out freebase. And the first time I ever smoked coke, like the next night, the dude had robbed like almost two keys from the fucking from the Cuban cartel, and they came to the house where I was at and emptied two fucking AR-15s, you know, into the room that I was sleeping in because it was that guy's room. He 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 left. And didn't tell us. So my first time freebasing, that's that's what happened. And then it just got crazy because the the poor man's freebase
0: was the crack. Sure. So how did how did it go though? From because you're you're fucking around with 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 everything like two and alls and and smoking dust and smoking weed. Well, I was clean for years. I was a monk from eighty two to eighty four, and then
1: uh well 80 yeah 82 to like the be to like the end of 83 84 because I just realized I was at a misfit show in 83 at the end of 83 so I lasted about I want to say almost like 22 months as a monk and then I left and we put the Cro-Mags back uh together and then when we went on the 80s, I mean, we were blowing the fuck up. Metallica came to see us. We we were touring with. Supposed to go to Europe and play with Motorhead and Me- and Black Sabbath and all this shit and all this great shit.
0: So because of legal issues, I had to remove a bunch of stuff here. Um, but we're gonna get back into John Joseph's crazy story in one second. Anything I pull out, it's just because of legal issues. So I apologize. Uh, read Evolution of a chrome mag and you'll hear the actual story. And that's how I made my bones on the Low East Side.
1: I got stabbed, but I fucking fought... That's that story with the belt fight.
0: The chain, yeah.
1: Outside of 171, the Beastie Boys were there, everybody, and nobody would fight these dudes. And the dude went to stab me and I blocked the knife, fucking hit him with a fucking three-piece, took him down on the ground, bashed his head off the curb. I was always like... I came out of jail. I did two years. I was a street fighter. I didn't give a fuck. And I was on Quaaludes that night, too. So, Gorilla Biscuits, you you don't give a fuck. So, I got in a fight with four of them, and I ended up getting stabbed. And And I was hitting them with my chain. And what happened was then I moved into 171A with the Bad Brains, right, in 80. I had gone AWOL from the Navy because I was... It's a crazy... You can't it's, make this shit up. Dude, the it, thing it's is like... layers and layers.
2: So what it happened, happened was, a movie? Let me, the it, movie? I'm
1: writing it now. Good. Okay? And I got a producer, fucking big time. He's doing a $25 million movie now, but I'm writing the script. What happened was I did two years. I got out. Uh, I was in Spofford, the only white dude in Spofford, in the Bronx. Okay? And just to set the tone, when I got locked up in 78 after two years on the street... Uh, I was the only white dude in Spafford. Roots was on TV. Right, right. And it was when the 5% of Muslims, which are the radical wing sure. of the nation of Islam, took over the prison system. And every white motherfucker had a target on him and was a white devil. That's the mood that I went into Spafford with in 78. And four for my life in there. And, then and they one,
0: locked you up for selling drugs, though, right?
1: Well, I had three warrants, one, one, two for selling drugs and one for breaking into a supermarket through the roof to get the safe and, uh, and, and the drugs. The drug, it was a drugstore in there. So the thing was, I was in St. John's Home for Boys, and if you fuck up in there, they keep telling you you're going to go to Spofford, you know, So I begged my way out of it twice, and the third time I kept splitting. So I had bench warrants. I didn't go to court. So when they finally caught me, all three cases, the judge, the first case for the selling to an undercover was like, if I see you in my court again, next case, breaking in, all three cases, boom, 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 in front of the judge. Remanded me back to Spofford, awaiting sentencing, and then I got, I did three months in Spofford and then uh, 18 months upstate, with an extra month added, because right before I got out, somebody... My brother got locked up, too, and somebody jumped him and beat him down and broke his nose. And I went and found the guy. I found the guy in the gym and uh, basically... Uh,
0: Kicked the shit out of him.
1: Uh, yeah, basically uh, beat him with a, uh, in the locker room uh, severely. And, and then they put me in a, what's called the Linden, which was the cells... So it was a padded cell and isolation. I stayed there for a month and then they just released me. So then I got out and reoffended. I sold another. I sold undercovers uh, heroin in Rockaway, um, but uh, I was with the people. But they did, It was like a technicality in the case. So basically, they offered me, uh, okay, you're gonna go to the Navy or you're gonna. My mother was dating a recruiter. So I took the Navy under the condition, if anything went down, I got to face the time. It's like when you get parole. You get parole, but if you commit a crime, you go back and finish your time. That was the deal. So I had four years, four to six upstate or four in the Navy. So what did I say? The state didn't raise no fool. Give me the motherfucking Navy. Join the Navy. Navy. And then I started smuggling in the Navy. And I caught a case in Norfolk with the civilians I sold pills to another undercover cop at King's Head Inn on Hampton Boulevard, which was like this punk club. Punk, and then they did rock bands and whatever, all kinds of bands. I sold them, uh, I got set up, and I sold them the pills, and they busted me. So then while I'm awaiting the civilian case, this one redneck on my ship kept fucking with me, and I snapped one day and put him in the hospital, and then I was like, Facing like crazy shit and I split. Everything the way the whole shit worked out. So
0: then when I came back up to New York... That was when you got sent to the hospital but they didn't send your paperwork to the hospital. Well, what
1: happened was I got my... I got the wisdom teeth pulled out and I got this crazy infection. So they had to medevac me. The ship was going to South America to Argentina which is called Shellback. You cross the equator. So when we left Puerto Rico... Roosevelt Rose, this infection started, and it was so bad, they had to send a chopper to the ship. I was on a CGN-41, so it had a helo deck on the back. So they medevac me off the ship by helicopter back to Roosevelt Roads, and th- back then there was no computers. But that's basically what saved you. Yeah, it th- th- saved th- me 100%. And then they didn't put the paperwork that I was supposed to be locked to the fucking bed and then they they gave me my they, I had my ID. They cut me a check in Puerto Rico. I was partying there for ten days. Then they sent me back to Norfolk. The ship was like forgot about me. And then like right before, and then the day the ship came in, the fucking I got the I got the heads up. They're like, yo, basically, yo, the master at arms is on their way to come get you. You better fucking split. So I did. And as I'm riding out the civilian bus. Out the gate, they're like at the light. Looking, it for was you. just yeah. They were like Nimitz Hall was over here. They're over here. The bus is here. I'm between them and Nimitz Hall. All they had to do was look up and be like, "There he is." So I went AWOL and uh, hung out in Norfolk for a week, and then I went up to DC. and Henry Rollins hid me out of his place, and um, you know I still taking the fucking drugs and everything and doing whatever the fuck and came up and then moved in with the Bad Brains and then the Cro-Mags started rehearsing and uh, went on tour with the Bad Brains, that whole trip and, you know, that's the way the Cro-Mags...
0: How did you know that you were going to be in a band? Like, how did it go? You were doing all this, you know, crime, drugs, fucking dealing. I
1: always loved music because, like, even as a kid, no matter what we were going through my mother would put on, like, 45s of Motown. Sure. In like, and we were in, like, we were in the fucking... You want to talk about projects where we had to hide out was, like, it was bad. And, like, just terrible places we were living in. And my mother... I, I would dance around with my mother and, like, act like I was a Motown singer, like, singing into the end of a broom... Right. And then in the in the foster home I was in, I always used to imitate the Soul Train dancers and shit. Like the, they gave us this. Their real son was kind of cool. He was a drug dealer, and he gave like back in. The, they had these round TVs back in the seventies, uh-huh. so he gave us his old TV, which was fucked up. So we had to put a coat hanger. In it for an antenna, but we were able to watch Soul Train on Saturdays, and then I would imitate them. It was always music I love it was the way always, you describe music
0: in that book, like you 'll think of a song yeah, and like it triggers the memories
1: and, and 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 Ross do it with the oatmeal because like we would steal we, we we would stay up all late night and then have to do fridge raids like the whole time we the two things that hit me when I wrote this book, Evolution of a Cro-Magnon, that I realized was, number one, they never let us go in their refrigerator the entire time where they were, that we were there, and they never took a single photo of us.
0: Right. So you don't have pictures for those six No, years. it's a
1: stolen... It's like... It, we were like the ghost children that didn't, didn't exist, and the whole neighborhood made fun of us. F- the orphan kids, like, you know, fucking... Imagine showing up to school and
0: you got this other kid's fucking clothes on. I was thinking about that. Uh, When I was a kid, like my mom had friends and she'd give me her friends' kids' clothes. You know what I'm saying? And I would give my... Then she would give my kids my clothes to a friend of mine at school. And he was littler than me and I was littler than the other dude. And I I think I even said to the dude, you're wearing my old clothes... But it wasn't like what happened to no, you. this,
1: well, you yeah, had to climb into the Salvation Army poor box. And, and, then and they were getting money for clothes and food and just keeping the money and then buying new cars and buying their kids whatever they wanted. We'd be in this, like, freezing patio outside eating fucking stale cold cuts or spit sandwiches, and and, and they'd be in there feasting and, like, no, it was the ultimate, like,
0: fucking orphan yeah, horror story.
1: It, it, it just does a number on you. But, you know, you, you become, you know, and I said in the book, if you keep kicking a dog, that's going to be one angry fucking dog when that dog gets older. And that's what happened, you know. That's why uh, I always, uh, you know, I would, wasn't a bully, but if somebody fucked with me on the streets or whatever the fuck, like, I would just snap and and uh and just like you know beat people fucking senseless and if you were bigger than me i would just it's
0: better pick more up, of a challenge
1: well i would pick up an equalizer i would pick up a bat or whatever the fuck pipe or whatever the fuck bottle whatever the fuck was around um you were going to get fucking you're going to get it used on you And, you know, and then, like, I put all of that angst and all that into the Cro-Mags because the thing about it was uh, in 77 I started going to Max's and CBGB's and seeing bands and the punk. You know, I was into, I was, like, when I heard the Stooges in 75, Raw Power, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I liked rock music and I liked soul music, but then when I started feeling that anger of the punk... That's when I was like, and then like 77, the Sex Pistols and and the uh, The Dead Boys and the Clash. So that really resonated with me and just that whole violent, the Ramones, you know, I saw them in 77 April or whatever at CB's and and it, it just really resonated with me like that fucking, you know, You know, Blitzkrieg Pop, and we taught the bat with the baseball bat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Like, that's how the shit was, man, back in the fucking day. Like, I was on the streets for the blackout, for punk, the summer of punk. That was my first year on the streets, really. I mean, 76, I was in and out of that fucking getting locked up. But 77, January, was when I finally had to split for good and fucking just survive out there.
0: Well, those are some of the, the craziest stories I ever heard where you meet that uh, Mikey Debris and, yeah, and Buckles. Yeah, the, the
1: junkie, yeah. Buckles is still walking around, I heard, out there. And uh, What about
0: Mikey Debris? Did he live? Ah, he
1: died. He, I think he got AIDS and shit. He told me he had AIDS. Like, I'd never seen him after that shit. Like, he stole my girlfriend from me, basically, and got her high on dope, and that's how That's she, the one? That's He's the dude that did oh, it. Oh, my God. And then i never seen him.
0: You describe him in the book as your favorite hustler, though. Oh, he was a genius. Right. He was a fucking tell genius. Tell the scam, Tell because I just listened to this part of the oh, book. Oh, the fake acid yeah, shit tell, at the yeah, garden. So
1: we had, a, we had this, they had the dope hustle first, which was they would go to Alphabet City and cop, and then you know how it goes. You fucking, the dope was so good down there, and what was happening in Rockaway or, or the Hamill projects in Far, far Rockaway was, was fucking bunk. So, like, he had the garbage, is Yeah, it saying. was garbage. So, like, the thing was, you could get the dope from the low East Side and step on that shit in half, I and mean, it was still, still better. And them, yeah. So they would get their get high, and then they would make money, so they had that whole operation going. And then buckles got popped, which, very conveniently, we were on a run when it happened, and it did cross my mind that maybe Mikey snitched on him. You know, you never know. Like, who knows what a junkie will do. Mm. And, uh, and then we were supposed to sell that and get a place, and he just injected it. And, and uh, you know, we were just fucking staying in these floppy fucking hotels around Madison Square Garden back then.
0: Those SRO spots.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, not even. Just, like, hotels where motherfuckers went to fuck for two hours. But right. we, was, we was fucking staying there. Uh, you know, living in there, and then doing the hustle, the next hustle was, so he had several hustles, I mean, he could sell anything to anybody, he would go get a bottle of, of vitamin B12s, dump them in a baggie, and sell them at the Dome, saying they were pink 697s, and act like he was speeding his balls off, he was the best con man I've ever seen to this day in my life, he could sell, he made fake hash, he made But the one gig that we had was uh, where we made a shit ton of money was he would take um, blotter paper and like the first time he's like, like he had done all this, all the dope and I was pissed off. I was like, we didn't even have money to live anywhere. And he's like, you don't have no faith. He starts giving me this three laws of the street hustle fucking rap like he's a preacher. And I'm like, yo, you're just full of shit. And he's like, what does that say right there? And it was a concert at the garden that night. And then he had a bag and he had uh, aluminum foil, a pack of cigarettes, a bottle of fucking Vicks Formula 44, scissors and blotter paper. I'm like, and then (laughs) we go back to the flop house and he starts cutting it up and he takes the... Filter off the, pa- the paper filter, the paper off the filter cigarette, and he dips it in the VIX Formula 44 and starts pressing it to make perfect circles. And it was what he called brown blotter. So then we would cut it up perfectly, like the acid was back then, and wrap each piece in an individual piece of aluminum foil, put that in a baggie, and then you go up to the garden. We would each take like a quarter or half hit of real acid. So we were high. We were pinned. We looked fucked up or not pinned, but just. Your eyes are big. big,
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. uh, And then, like, we would show up an hour before. So it wasn't like two hours. So motherfuckers knew they got beat. And then we would just hustle. And make three, four hundred dollars each, and you're
0: trading the fake doses
1: for fake for pills. doses for real pills and and and, and tickets, and you guys go and see real us. acid. And I got to see, yes, The Stones, I saw fucking Black Sabbath, I saw The Who, Led Zeppelin. Like, I saw all the bands play because of that. And you
0: always sold fake acid at the shows? Fake acid. That's so funny.
1: Yeah, it's kind of fucked up, like...
0: It's a little fucked up, but it's funny, too. Hey, you know, I was, like I said, man, you know... Anybody who buys a fucking blotter acid at a rock show... Chances are they're going to get fucking ripped Well, you know
1: what happened to me initially when the light came on and I was like, oh, shit, because I was in the home with that dude Bobby K whose whose parents set him on fire, and he was this complete fucking maniac. He was burned. So he woke up his mother's boyfriend, and he dragged uh, Bobby to the bathtub, threw him in, doused him with lighter fluid, and set him on fire as a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was burned from the neck down uh, scar, Thick scar tissue Never took his shirt off Nothing And uh, he was an animal he, he was half He was like He had the Jufro You know Like half Jewish And, and, and Jewish and Irish uh-huh. And a little Spanish Or whatever He had like this, What they called The Jufro And He was 5'10 240 pounds Of just solid Fucking muscle and everybody was terrified of him. He spent his whole childhood in nut houses and being fucking abused. And, like, the parents gave him up. Said that he played with matches and the lighter fluid and did it to himself. He was oh seeing, my God. Like, just crazy shit. So then we went up to the Deuce. And uh, this was 76. 42nd Street. Yeah, it's 42nd Street, the Deuce, Times Square. Like, And, you know, we went up and we were going to go see movies. He's like... He's like, yo, we walk by the pimps on by like Eighth Avenue and 40 Deuce. And uh he's like, yo, like the first dude was like, ass, ass of the grass. What do you need? I just go. It was a Puerto Rican dude. I said, That motherfucker just say ass. And he turns around and pulls out a blade and goes, Yeah, I said ass, motherfucker. What? And I was like, yo, like he was selling <laughs> yeah. his booty. Yeah. And then he, this like black pimp dude sold us. He's like, yo, I got blotter, you know, does the whole rap. Man, my shit is so potent. So we each bought a hit for five bucks. Fucking went to play pinball before we went to the movies. And I'm like, yo, this shit, nothing's happening. And we go back, and the dude was like, see, y'all motherfuckers just got a high tolerance to my shit. What you got to <laughs> do is run around the block and get it in y'all's bloodstream. So the motherfucker had us, like, running around running the block
0: to get like it to three times.
1: It. And then just cracking up, they ripped us off. And, and then Bobby's like, yo, motherfucker, you ripped us off. And like stepped to him. And the dude just took out like a little 38, put it in Bobby's face. He's like, get your honky asses the fuck off my deuce. And we were just like, yo. OK. So like I knew that it worked. Yes. It, but then the first acid trip I took was with Bobby. And he had a, he had a bad trip. And he tried to murder me with a hunting knife. Oh, God. That was my first acid trip. And we were listening to Pink Floyd Uh Umaguma, 10,000 species of furry little animals gathered together in a cave grooving with a pick. Now, if you know that song, you know how crazy that shit is. And imagine the strobe light and the purple lights. Everybody had to have that. And this dude... Bugged out. I look over... And his eyes are wide, and he's just sweating. And my brother E will tell you, when that motherfucker's eyes got big, (laughs) watch out, motherfucker, because I seen him lay out two, three people at a fucking shot. Like, he was a fucking unstoppable. Even the staff at St. John's was terrified of him. And he starts having this flashback, and then like I'm like, yo, man, chill. Like, you know, here's the bong. Like we had a a gas mask bong, he slaps it out of my fucking hand. He's like starts telling me about like the shit that happened to him. I'm like, yo, I don't wanna hear this, man. Like and then like he's having the ultimate. He starts pacing in his room and talking about how his mother let him let her boyfriend do this. She was supposed to love me and then like not let me do this and rips off his fucking shirt, and it, I'd never seen his chest. And you were tripping. Dude, I'm tripping my balls off. Oh, my God. And I'm like, yo, and I get my coat and try to leave, and he cracks me in the fucking face, knocks me back, and then reaches under his mattress and pulls out a hunting knife and goes to stab me. And I get out of the room. He chases me all over St. John's uh, through the dorms. And I fucking cracked him with a chair and, and got away. And then, like, you know, that was... You ever see him again? Nah, but I heard he murdered two people and, and, and got sent up for life. Oh, my a God. A lot of people in there uh, back then did. But, uh, you know... I was going to
0: tell you how the first time I did acid, I bought a, a blotter hit at a Grateful Dead show at Madison Square Garden, and it was good acid. Yeah. But that story is not nearly as good as yours. Yeah. Uh, it was just
1: a hustle, you know. Um, that's that's what it was all about, we- yeah. I was a kid on the streets and, uh, you know, you, you, you put any motherfucker in a mode of survival
0: and they're going to do the same shit. All right. For legal reasons, we had to take this stuff out. But basically, John's telling uh, why he relapsed and, and of this betrayal that we can't put in the podcast now. So, again, read Evolution of a Cro-Mag and you'll hear exactly what happened in the betrayal. But back to the relapse. I was living a little bit of hypocrisy to begin
1: with because, like, I got around some bad people before the tour and I started, like, doing bumps of coke. Dabbling or a little bit. Yeah, there, dabbling, right. but I just. And then I fell in with that same dude and uh, I hit rock bottom. And that's, he's like, we need, you know, we went down, uh, you know, smoking fucking uh, crack and shit. And I just spiraled out and then doing Percocets and whatever the fuck to come down after you've been up for... Robbing the craziest motherfuckers in Alphabet City. Like, I would just walk up and... In the
0: late 80s. Now you're talking about... 88. Yeah, yeah. But
1: robbing, like, you know, insane drug dealers, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Colombian drug dealers for their coke and crack and not giving a fuck. I had to leave New York because I threw this Colombian out of my car. I beat the shit out of them and then, you know, it's this crazy story. And, um, uh, I had to leave New York because they were everywhere looking for me. Like, I got real hot. So I went to L.A. and then spun out in L.A.
0: Were you playing music or you just doing drugs? I was
1: just doing fucking drugs, dude. Robbed the Red Hot Chili Peppers merch person. Um,
0: Yeah, it was... uh, Did you... I mean, because I was mentioning to you before that that Flea is this huge fan of the book. Do you know him?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when Flea first... When the Chili Peppers first came to New York, they were junkies, and they stayed with Doug Holland, our guitar player, on 3rd Street on the Hells Angels block, and they were all strung out doing fucking dope. Yeah, but I knew... My band, Both Worlds, that I had with some Mackie from the Cromags and Todd Youth and Zowie, we opened up on the Mother's Milk Tour in New York okay. City, okay. and they were like, they wanted to take us on a fucking tour with them. They were like, you guys are going to be fucking huge if you just keep playing, and then that shit happened uh, with the drugs, and they kind of were like, you know, that guy's a scumbag. I had all the whole fucking L.A. Like crazy, L.A. motherfuckers looking for me when I robbed her. This girl. So uh, yeah, you know it's it, it, and then how'd you get off of it? Okay, well you know we this girl's parent, this girl's stepfather uh, was a fucking huge Hollywood producer. He did Ronald Reagan's inaugural ceremony in '84, like just crazy shit, like. They lived in a mansion on Pacific Coast Highway in Santa Monica next to the Post. They had all this money, and then me and her spun out, burned through writing checks, spent probably $180,000, sold a car. They had put warrants out on us and said I kidnapped her and... And uh, they would like they I didn't find out till later, but they hired fucking private investigators and all kinds of shit to find us, but they couldn't because we were in the fucking I was staying with punk rock people all over, and uh, they they couldn't find us. It was you know pre credit cards and all that paper trail shit, Mm -hmm. you know cell phones pinging off and shit like that. (laughs) So we go back. The funny shit was we tried to sell the car to a dealership in LA. That was we we went through all the money. Then we tried to sell her fucking like $20,000 tricked out convertible white Volkswagen, beautiful fucking car, like the top of the notch. And the dude was, like, giving us, like, ah, I'll give you fucking, like, three grand for it. Like, you know, we were strung out. Like, the dude knew, like, yo, these guys. And then he's like, well, listen, let me go run some paperwork and some numbers and, you know, see what I could come up with for you, like some fat fucking, like, Car salesman, yeah. You know, you want to talk about the cliche. This was the downward shit that led to the insanity. So then... I'm like, something's up. My spidey senses, I'm like, something's <laughs> up. And me and her were at the point where she was a sniffer and I was a smoker. Okay. So she would hate me because I would just smoke all the coke and then steal, try to steal hers. We had fist fights over the shit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That type of junkie shit. And I'm like, something's up. She's like, fuck you. Just don't go. Just sit down. And I go to the back. And I hear, all right, Mrs. Such-and-such, I'm going to hold him here. I already contacted the police. He ran the VIN number or whatever the fuck. He called her up because the car was in her mother's name. And they said, hold him there. And I went back out. I was like, yo, he's calling you. So then I go back out. And he comes out. And he goes, oh, I just talked to my partner. We're going to give you nine grand for the car. She's like, oh, that's great. He goes, let me just finish up the paperwork, and then I, I, I'll get you guys, I'll get you guys a, 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 a check. Goes to the back. I go, Kate, that motherfucker was on the phone with your mother. He's setting us up. She's like, you always fucking think you know everything. Fuck you. Fuck you. I want the money.
0: I was like, <laughs> she's hysterical. Right. She wants the money. She thinks you're paranoid. She, she thinks I'm yeah. paranoid. Right.
1: I go back. And homeboy's sitting, like, right here behind the desk. And he was, you know, looking down at some shit. And then when he looks up, I'm standing there. And the title's there in the middle of the desk. And we both looked at it at the same time. And I just fucking hammered him, knocked him out, picked up this, like, paperweight on his desk, smashed his fucking (laughs) head with it, took the title, and ran out, grabbed her... As we're pulling off, the fucking... I see, as I'm turning the corner, I look. The cops just pulled up with her mother in the Mercedes. So we got away. Now, we didn't know the severity of it. So we're like, oh, shit. She's like, I have a friend that has a dealership in Palm Springs. Let's go out there. I'm driving. I got federal warrants for my arrest from being AWOL. I'm doing a 100 on the fucking highway from L.A. to Palm Springs, I get pulled over. This cop come. I'm like, it's over. That's it. I got no license. I'm I'm a fucking wanted man. Cop comes up. California State Highway, dude. Roll down the window. License and registration. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there and I'm like. His face is, like, right there. And I'm like, you know, the crazy shit was I was a violent-as-fuck drug addict. And I looked at him, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I could fucking yank this guy in, and and I'd have to fucking kill him. And the thoughts are just going through your head. Meanwhile, you've been up. That craziness goes through your head because you've been up for a week on fucking crack, and then... uh, you know, not eating and everything else. And, and he goes, license and registration. I'm not going to tell you again. Put your hands where I can see them. And he unsnaps the thing on his gun. And he has his arm on the fucking window, right? His hand on the window, the open window. And I look. And he's got a fucking boatswain mate insignia tattoo, DD2 with the ship number and shell back. So I said, I said, when did you cross the equator on the tin can boats? And he goes, You a Navy man? (laughs) And then we start talking about beating polywogs down and like. What is
0: beating polywogs?
1: Polywogs like? are the ones who don't cross the equator, and they got to get tortured, and you put all the garbage on the on the fucking fantail of the ship, and make them crawl through it, and do all okay. this. You know, it's like a right a, a rite of passage. Sure, sure. So he was a shellback, which meant he crossed the equator, and he was the d the dd ddg with the hull number was he was on a a, a destroyer with guided new with guided missiles. And he was yeah, he was a boatswain mate, second-class petty officer, and I knew all of that.
0: Just from the tattoo.
1: Just from the tattoo. Right. And then we kicked a little Navy shit. He's like, well, hell, I can't give no damn boats and they shell back a damn ticket. He's like, listen, he said, keep it under 65 out here because the next guy you get. So we get to Palm Springs, and she gives her friend the title, and he comes back in fucking white as a ghost. He ran the VIN number. He goes, "Cars reported stolen, and that you kidnapped her, and you're a part of a cult, and you're armed and dangerous." What was the cult? Hare Krishna. All right. <laughs> you better get the fuck out of here because the
0: alert went out to the police. So he still honored your Navy connection and let you no,
1: go. No, not the cop. Oh. The de-
0: the cop lets Oh, us the go. dealer. The dealer. When the car dealer. To the the next one. He in sees Palm that Springs, and he lets you go.
1: He ran. He took the title and he had to run the VIN number, and the VIN number alerted the cops, and then all the shit came up.
0: And he said, "Get out of here," because he, he didn't it, want to deal with that shit. He gave us.
1: He protected Kate. He protected the girl. Mm-hmm. He goes, "You guys better get out of here." This is what the cops just told me to hold you there. And then we went back to L.A. and we sold the car for thousand dollars, two plane tickets, and two ounces of blow. Wow. Get on the fucking plane. She tells me two hours into the flight that she told the girl what flight we were on. I think she just did it because she wanted it to be over. And she was Too like, much. "You, I'm terrified of you. I don't know like what you're going to do. And then you would think at that moment I would be like, it's over. We had a great run. I love you. I'll never forget you. My first words were... We got to snort all the coke in the overhead because I checked one ounce in underneath and then one ounce in the overhead. And I'm fucking snorting all the blow, running up and down the aisles of the plane. Like, the funny shit was I never, I stayed on my plant-based diet even <laughs> while I was a crackhead. I would fucking jones for three days. I would get high and then, like, fucking pass out on Percocets or fucking two and all or whatever the fuck and wake up like, yo... Let's go get some wheatgrass juice. Right. And motherfuckers would be like, wheatgrass juice? Well, you were committed to it. Motherfucker, you need a straitjacket, basically. Like This other dude used to say that, too. But uh, yeah, I'd stay with it. So I was going up and down the aisles of the plane like, look at you fucking eating meat. If this plane goes down, you're all going to fucking hell. Like, fucking dude, I'm snorting boulders of coke in the bathroom.
0: Judging everybody for eating meat. Sweating, me. sweating right, judging right, motherfuckers right, 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 right. for eating meat. Like,
1: out of my mind. It's perfect. Standing up with the Bhagavad Gita, reading from it, like, right. on karma and all this shit. The stewardesses was like, sit down, or when we land, the police, I was like, honey, the police are going to be there any motherfucking way. Right. Because she told it's her done. friend, who fucking definitely told the father... And uh, sure enough, we land, and it was pissing fucking rain and cold, went, like, November.
0: It was here? You landed in New York? Yeah, we
1: landed at JFK and dig this. So I made her walk ahead of me to give me a chance. And as she left the bridge between the plane and the fucking, and to get to the terminal, when she walked in the terminal, all these fucking... Raincoat suit dudes just converge with walkie-talkies. We got her. Who's got eyes on him? Where is he? I had I went down the, escal- the first escalator to the left. I merged in with this family, <coughs> and they thought, okay, get to the outside of the fucking terminal. He's going to be getting in a cab. or trying to get away. No. I remembered that I had an ounce in the checked-in bag. So you had to go get it. I got that shit. That's the only reason I got away, too. 'Cause they, they didn't think you'd be staying in the luggage. They went out, I was in, they went back in thinking I was hiding in the airport and and the the way I hit I lost everything. So I went to this crack like crack house where everybody freebased in Alphabet City and it was dangerous. It's all black dudes, like no white boys, like just thug motherfuckers. And I had uh like an ounce and a half and I had the cash. And I'm freebasing with them, and then one of them hit me with a fucking pipe in the head.
2: Mm.
1: And I, bl- I was blacked it. out, and they took all my shit. And I woke up bloody and was like, had nothing. I had burned every bridge. I went to Tompkins Square Park, and it was pissing rain. And I just sat there bawling my eyes out. I went to the Krishna temple. I said, if you don't let me move in here, I'm going to be dead. And they let me move in, and I just climbed out from there, and never, uh, never used those level of drugs again. And then, you know, you're still dabbling. I, I, I just got back into training and everything real hard, and you know, we, and then started smoking weed again, and then like you know the shrooms and this and that. And I said, you know what, 1999. I said I gotta just stay off the fuck everything. I'm an addict. I know I'm an addict. Everything's a gateway drug. Sure. If I get an ounce of weed, I'm not smoking one joint. I'm smoking the whole fucking thing. Then I'm gonna make fucking uh, you know weed brownies and shakes and fucking whatever. If the I fuck. if
0: I smoke a little bit of pot, there's no way I don't want to be high constantly. That's
1: how it works. So then I just uh, I, you know t- I started. I when I turned fifty, I started. I took up Iron Man and, and did my first Iron Man at fifty years old and never stopped since. Now I got 11 under my belt. I got three races this year. So it's just a way to like, you know, that and the writing and the music and everything. And, and especially Reach, that's why I wrote the PMA book. It, you know, it's was putting my experiences there because, to, you know, in order to help other people and always paying it forward. I speak at prisons and drug programs and high schools. and. What uh, drew you
0: in from Hare Krishna in the first place?
1: Prabhupada's books, man. Like... It was just incredible philosophy because I, I really got in around the bad brains. They everybody around the bad brains was very mystic,
0: spiritual mind. Like
1: yeah, like fucking into yoga and meditation, and, and philosophy. they were all smoking weed though. Yeah, but it don't matter. That was That's part of the Rastafari yet. shit. Yeah. You know, they didn't get high off of it. No, it was just meditation, meditation, yeah. meditation, burnt offerings and whatnot to Rast. <laughs> Smoke chalice, but I smoke. I don't smoke weed. I smoke chalice and I give praises to the Most High, Rastafari. Yeah. So you sip chalice, which is the the coconut with the pipe in it. You you put a chillum in there, and and, and then you got the straw and. You know, that's the only time they ever take their TAMs off. A real Rasta don't show his dreads unless he's reading the Bible and, 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 and smoking and, and, and sipping chalice. Right. That's, real Rasta's never take their TAMs off in public. That's the real. Like, I learned the real shit and the ital. So The
0: ital is vital.
1: Aital is vital. Lotal is fatal. You can't eat the Babylon fuck. man. them out to kill your Rasta. Yes I so
0: then um, I just, the question is though, did you ever wish that you could sip chalice in meditation as opposed to no nah, no nah, because high or like
1: I, you know like there's a difference for me i, I got into some other runners the esoteric teachings and invadeders, and it says yeah. not to take intoxication, right. so to me, like you know that's what my teacher says, so that's the path I follow. I'm not saying anything about anybody else that does whatever, but I'm an athlete. I don't wanna smoke. Uh and and uh and this is And just, you're an addict,
0: you know what's up with you know And, what's up I, with and that. I
1: know like, you know, the minute I start dabbling, fucking right. I'm gonna be uh in a fucking uh crack house somewhere if they still have those, like, you know, in a year or whatever the fuck or
0: whatever it is. You know, yeah.
1: whatever it is, taking pills now this shit's so confirmed by the universe. Yeah, See like that, that movie I, yeah. right there? Yeah. So you don't you don't fuck around, you know. You don't you don't uh I escaped death so many times, and that's one thing that people said that read my book were like, yo, you know what? I don't know how the fuck you're still alive. And I'm like, man, I had a guardian angel on my shoulder. Like, you know, go this way instead of that way type thing. Well, uh, there's
0: no reason any of us get to live and the other people don't. You know what I mean? There's no trying to explain any of that stuff. It sounds to me like, it's interesting that you never were into 12 steps, but it seems like everything came to you through Hare Krishna, HR, hardcore music, and plant-based... Yeah, uh and
1: training. And training. Well, you know, uh, Krishna philosophy, the Vedas, all the yoga teachings come from the Vedic literatures, Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Upanishads, all that stuff. So it's like... You know it's it's really intense uh knowledge, so even martial arts originated in India. Everything I was into it all kept coming back to India, and India talks about the when the planet was Bart Varsh, and everybody lived in one area, and then how they spread out in the different tribes due to the environmental differences people took on different features. But if you look at Indian people, they're the perfect combination of white and black people. And everybody, really, yeah, everybody. everybody. All my Dominican
0: friends look Indian. You know, like it's just—it's
1: it's just like the Bhagavatam goes back hundreds and thousands of years. And I was reading all these books on philosophy and Gurdjieff, Krishnamurti, Ramdas. In in in, in uh, 1980 81, when I started on this journey, and uh, when I went to the temple and I read Prabhupada's books, I was like. That's it, man. You know, that's this is the path for me. Bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion, helping other people, uh, you know, just doing work on yourself all the time, how to meditate, just everything is, is perfectly uh, described. And I went in there with a challenging, like, philosophical debate kind of thing against the devotees. Like, I'm going to prove this wrong. Right. And I couldn't. Because Prabhupada just took the Vedic knowledge and translated it to English, and just, it's amazing what he did. If you want to see an amazing documentary on YouTube, just put in your ever well-wisher about his whole story about how he came to America at 70 years old with $7 and a case of books, because his guru in India said, you have to go to the West and spread this knowledge. People are suffering. right? And And out of that compassion, just to like... You know, cross two oceans and have a heart attack and everything, and end up on the Lower East Side with no money and get robbed, and just go start chanting in Tompkins Square Park with all the yippies and and hippies in and Allen Ginsberg. The
0: Hari Krishna uh, gives out the vegetarian yeah, meals still yeah. down well, there.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I, I you know I support uh, those programs, and and that's one of the things I do too is uh, support. Uh, the plant based uh soup kitchens that uh run out of Tompkins Square bar. I actually started that program in eighty three when I lived in the temple.
0: Amazing. Like it's he, still
1: going. And you know the f- crazy shit too, like Woody Harrelson read my book and he was like when he didn't know like who the fuck I was, I introduced he got I got introduced by the owners of Candle seventy nine. He goes, So what do you do? I said, I sing in this band cro Mags. He's like Crow he's like, did you write this book, The Evolution of a cro Magnon? I was like, Yeah. All right, sir. My dad's leaving. Dad's leaving. Look at that smile. Yeah, million dollar smile. I don't, have my scarf.
0: I don't have your scarf. See you later. And
1: uh, out of everything, you know what he said? That Hare Krishna. You see how he
0: needs, he needs to be recognized on the show? I love it. Anyway, please continue. It.
1: The thing that he said was that Hare Krishna stuff was insane. Because when I was a monk, they realized like it was run, the temple was run by these scam artists and they had everybody out there hustling and scamming people in public and making money. And I was damn good at it. Right. I was one you of had the, the biggest collectors in you. the movement. Right. So like, and then I found out that they were stealing the money and it pissed me off. They were putting it in bank accounts and doing all kinds of sh- crazy shit, selling drugs, molesting kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like all this crazy shit. Every night personal nightmare to you is what's happening. It,
1: oh man, it was like I was like I- I'm going to fucking you know, take these people down, man.
0: So how are you so how are you involved with Harry Christian now? Oh yeah,
1: I'm involved with like The devotees that recognize that Prabhupada is the founder, Acharya. He never appointed any of these guys to become guru. They all have bank accounts with millions of dollars stashed and want worship. Prabhupada slept on the floor, didn't have a penny, never accepted worship, cooked and cleaned for everybody else before he even took a grain of rice for himself. So that's, Acharya means one who leads by example, so I saw Prabhupada's example, and then I see these guys, and I'm like... Fuck that shit. I'm, I follow Prabhupada, and I read Prabhupada's books. They started changing all the books and like doing like basically what they did to Christianity, right. you know, just watering it down to suit what they want to do. And I'm like, that's not... You don't change the teachings to suit your lifestyle. You change your lifestyle to suit the teachings... Of higher knowledge. That's how you, you know, even in the military, anywhere you do, you have a teacher. So anybody that says I don't need no, t-, you have a teacher for every aspect of your fucking life. So what makes you think that all of a sudden, Oyve, you're not gonna need a teacher that can guide you uh, through through the spiritual process? Not not that like you know. This person is wanting worship. It's he's imparting the knowledge to you, same way that a mechanic teacher does, or a military teacher does, or Whatever a writing they, yes,
0: teacher, yes. like my writing teacher's Robert McKee. Are you, I listen to you on Rogan. I'm like, I'm taking the fucking seminar. I'm trying to write, and I, I, I think I need to see your your boy Robert McKee. Uh, look, Robert
1: at the, McKee. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. You're Dad, back. What, Jesus he, what do you want to come on the show? He's back. For, do you want to jump on he's, the he's show? Back, he, he, forgot forgot his back for an encore. he forgot his umbrella. <laughs> Stay dry, Dad. Thank you. <laughs>
1: uh, He's very yeah, sweet, Robert my McKee. Dad. I'm telling you right now, anybody that's a writer, I'm gonna suggest two books for you. Story by Robert McKee. Then you could look online and see when he does his story seminars. He's doing one in LA in May. It's
0: three days.
1: It's a a life-changing experience to go to that three-day course. And then he does genre genre workshops. And also read The War of Art by Steven Pressfield.
0: The War of Art?
1: Yeah. Like, I suggested to read that book on Joe Rogan's podcast, and then he went and read it, and it's like, dude, I read that fucking... He posted about reading the book. It's called The War of Art? The War of Art by Steven Pressfield. All right, I'll check it out. So The War of Art is the only book besides his book that McKee sells at
0: his, his seminars. Seminar.
1: That's how I found out about Stephen Pressfield, who's like this amazing old school writer, when you had to be a real writer, not a fucking hack.
0: Right, All right. Your book is really well written.
1: Well, you know, I have been studying uh, film writing, so I came at it from like, okay, uh, what, what makes a scene? What, what's, what's the substance of story? What's the five parts of story design? Inciting incident, progressive complications, crisis, climax, resolution. Right. So what's the inciting incident uh, uh, of my whole story? It was the night my father broke down the door and almost murdered my mother. Right. And she spun out. So, like, you start to see that, y- you know, having a great story is one thing, knowing how to tell it. That's...
0: That's what's another thing.
1: That's a whole nother ball game.
0: So what do you do... Um, Because I I know how much you help people. I mean, you're feeding people and you're guiding people and you're doing films on on the prison system and all this stuff. Yeah, I did the
1: documentary uh, called 30 to Life, which was with uh, Paul DeGeldo, the Australian Navy SEAL. Yeah. His arm and leg was taken by the shark. Yeah, yeah. And Kip Anderson, who did
0: what? The Health and uh, Cowspiracy. What do you do when, when drug addicts and alcoholics come to you? Because you don't do 12-step. I, I wanted to start a, a weird kind of vague movement called the Alternative Recovery Movement, which was basically... There's a billion ways to get sober. Mm. There's a billion ways to get well.
1: Well, you know what? I tell some people listen, man, some people do have to go to meetings and work as 12 step program. I do. Yeah, and, you know, and if they're on that level, then what I tell them, I reach out to my friend Michael Alago. He has a movie on, if you haven't seen his movie, he signed Metallica. He discovered Metallica. He fucking- Which movie? It's called Who the Fuck is That Guy? It's on Netflix. I don't think I saw it. It's fucking amazing. Okay. But he's in recovery, and he helps addicts. That's his thing. So, you know, I I tell them, listen, man, if you're in New York, go catch a meeting with Michael or, you know, go to a meeting, start going to meetings, work your program, do whatever, or, you know, take up this spiritual, philosophical path. See, the mind... It, it, it says in the Gita, the 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 mind is more. Uh, it's it's easier to control the raging wind than it is to control the mind. Right. So this, the 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 once you've actually become free from the physical addictions of drugs, then it's a mental game because it's no longer my body needs this heroin. My body needs this crack. My body needs this cocaine or these pills or whatever. Once the physical addiction is gone, then it's a seed that takes place in the mind. And if you water that, it's going to flower and you're going to use. So I tell people, listen, you have to learn to control the mind by the intelligence. That's what yoga tells you, right? So when the mind says, yeah, come on, let's go get that fucking bag of dope, the intelligence has to say, where the fuck is that going to lead me? If I do that, and that's the thing, it, it, people just act impulsively. And you have to learn to... Yoga teaches you to pull back from that and realize I'm not the, sen- I'm not the five senses. I'm not the mind. I'm even not the intelligence. The, the, the who I am is situated beyond. The atma, the soul, is situated even beyond the intelligence Although the soul's giving guidance through the intelligence and what's known as the Paramatma, the super soul is God seated in the heart of, of each of every living entity, giving direction. So I tell people, just don't act on that impulse. Start to think, okay, write that shit down. What's this gonna get me if I do this bag of dope? Just take time and and then replace <clears throat> the negative thoughts with positive ones. That's what the whole PMA process is about. The whole PMA effect, the book, that's what it's all about. Replace these bad habits with good ones. You have to, you know, you you can't just float through life. You have to have goals. You you know, that's why I always have another Iron Man coming up. I always have another right. writing project. Right. The I don't mind is the devil's workshop.
0: Absolutely. So you
1: have to constantly keep that motherfucker engaged and I call it in the PMA effect the enemy mind. You gotta beat that motherfucker with a stick every fucking morning. You know, I don't, that's why I have a routine. I wake up, the first thing I do, I say my pranam mantras, I touch my head to the floor, I say my mantras, I get out of fucking bed. I start writing. Then I'm training. Then I'm doing this. Then I'm doing that. But it's, it's about
0: richness. It's about keeping the thing going, so so that you have something to to, to attach yourself. Yeah, to. Yeah,
1: but you know the hardest part is getting is getting started. Right, and that's what people. But just taking that first action, that first step towards sobriety, that first step towards health. You know, just today, say, hey, man. I'm not gonna use today because when I start, I was like, "How am I? What am I gonna? How the fuck am I gonna do? Like in a year, where you can't think that. No, you just have to say today. I'm not using today. I'm gonna eat good today. I'm gonna go to the fucking gym today. I'm gonna and 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 that's the qualities uh, uh, of of the relationships of people on the path. Is one of them is you can re- and I t- said this on Joe Rogan's podcast. You you can reveal your mind and confidence to the other people. Who does that? To say, "Yo, this is what I'm thinking." You you can't keep these demons bottled up inside of you. You you have to share it. Say like, "Hey, man, that's what a sponsor comes in for," mm-hmm. right? Sure. I don't know if you have or just
0: one. a fellow, just a fellow, anybody, yeah, anybody. Mean, no, I have a sponsor. Uh oh. There's God Shit is again. Moving in
1: here, bro. It's you happening. Fucking, it's happening. You got some juju going on.
0: Well, definitely some juju, if not some juju. <laughs>
1: um,
0: fucking, uh, I think I, I love hearing you talk. Uh, I love your message. Um, and I think for you, one of the things that saved your ass is how interested you are in so many things. I worry about people out there who have no interest. What do you do with somebody who doesn't have uh, a plant based uh, diet? Need to train, fucking ambition to write, ambition to be in bands. Where does passion come from?
1: Passion has to be there. You have to become passionate about something. Right. There's something, I don't care who the fuck you are. Even a person that's like, "Ah, I don't like music. Well, let's go through and find something that you do like. You have to, you know. I mean, I've, I've seriously never met a motherfucker that didn't like something.
0: Right. You have to cultivate whatever drawing, it is. Whether it's whether it's... Cooking, whatever. Cooking,
1: whatever the fuck. That's why I even have a cooking show on YouTube, The Hard Truth. I just fucking... I'm just constantly doing shit. And, you know, it gets to the point where it's like you have to stay focused, like... You know, working on a new music now, and I'm working on this film, like I said, and doing all this other stuff. You know, but, uh, you know, the thing about it is, and I said this the other day, I was like, when you get to the point where you can't wait for your fucking feet to touch the ground in the morning, and you jump out of fucking bed and get after it, that's the point you want to come to in your life. That's passion.
0: That's how I am with dopey, man. Yeah, I'm all about it. Yeah,
1: I, I see that. You I'm all about stayed it. stayed on top of me, man. Yeah, All right, let's get you on.
0: Just making it happen, man. Dude,
1: but that's it. Make it happen, Captain. And you know what? This podcast gets out there. It reaches people. Uh, everybody has struggled with some type of addiction, and it could be food. It could be the need for something else. It could be pills. It could be alcohol. It could be dope. It could be whatever. You know, it's... Um, it's great that this format takes place. You know, we didn't have this, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah, I'm 58 neither. years old this year, so like you know, there's so many avenues of uh ways to uh people could learn and and I'm still learning. I still listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts. I watch documentaries. I I try to always Gain more knowledge. The minute that you think I don't, I know it all, you're done. Right. You're done in this fucking life. Yeah, It's not possible. That's why I I said this morning, I was like, I still read the Bhagavad Gita every day because you know what? It's like just so many layers of wisdom. And then you could go back and not have read something and it just takes on a whole new meaning because that's the real thing about spiritual knowledge. It's not limited to the material world. It just keeps going and going and going. And depending on the realizations you have, you're going to get deeper meaning out of it. So, you know, I, that's why now I'm clean and sober. I chant every day. I walk around with my Japa Mala in my pocket. I try to chant.
0: What do you chant? Hare Krishna.
1: Hare, hey, let me hear Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Here, I got my Mala in my pocket. Let me I don't know where my coat... oh your father took my coat. Uh Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hari Hari, Hari Rama, Hari Rama, 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 Hare, Hari. So it means Hare is the internal energy of Krishna, of God. Krishna is the name of God that means the all attractive person. And then Rama is a name for God that's um you know the the actually Hare addresses the female energy of God. Because you know that's the whole thing. We don't. We don't. The the the, the devotional aspect and Rama is the power, uh, you know. So God contains everything, you know. All all wealth, all knowledge, all strength, all beauty, all fame, all renunciation. So Krishna is means the all attractive person. We're attracted to to those qualities in everybody. When we see a beautiful person, we're like, wow, that person's beautiful. But is that person the most beautiful? No. Or if we see somebody with wealth, well, yeah, that guy's fucking loaded. But does he own? Does he possess all the wealth? So we're attracted to these qualities in the material world: knowledge, strength, renunciation. Wow, that person gave up everything to fucking charity. But who possesses all of those in full? That's Krishna. So. You know, and you could sit there and chant Hare Krishna for three hours a day, four hours a day, because it's a spiritual vibration. Try to chant Coca-Cola, 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 Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. But you can sit there and chant Hare Krishna for 10 hours, and that's you'll never work. grow tired. It's right. a spiritual mantra.
0: Well, beautiful.
1: So that's why I do it. And, and, and man mantra is a Sanskrit word. Man, M-A-N, means mind, and tra. T-R-A, is to deliver. So a mantra delivers the mind from all the darkness of the age of the Kali Yuga. So in the Kali Yuga, that's the age we're in, the age of quarrel, which is why I named the first Cro-Meg album the age of quarrel, and hypocrisy, right? So what does it say? Hare nama, hare nama, hare nama, eva kevalam, kalonastevanastevanasteva gatiya anyata. In the Iron Age of Kali, the the preferred method of self-realization is to chant the holy names of God. There you go. It's not religion, it's spirituality. There's a big difference. It's not dogma. I've seen them turn the Krishna thing into dogma, but I can always look at Prabhupada and say, look what Prabhupada said to do. Look what Buddha said to do. Look what Jesus Christ said to do. You know, I do. Look at these different teachers... That existed, you know, uh, Muhammad and whoever. In Through the ages, this, this, these messages it's of, people uh, of just love. Think too, it's all about love. Yes, and people turn it to suit their needs and turn against each other and make religion this ugly fucking word. And it's not supposed to be that. It's
0: supposed to be this incredible loving, gigantic. Just thing. like
1: in in America, they call the sun sun. What do they call the sun in Spain? Soul, S O L. So we have a different name for the sun depending
0: on our language.
1: Yeah, but we're talking about the same sun in the sky. It's not your sun and my sun. There's one sun in the sky. There's one moon that we see on Earth. And people just get caught up in thinking that their way is the only way. Everybody else, this dogmatic, you know, the born-again Christians, you're going to hell to
0: burn eternally. I
1: was like, where the fuck does it say that? Like, how could a God that's full of compassion let you burn in hell eternally? You know, it's just, it's dogma. And I don't subscribe to that. And like I said, I lived as a monk. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, to this day, and I've been on stage in front of fucking 20, 30,000 motherfuckers screaming, you fucking crowmags, whatever the fuck, been doing this, that, the other thing. The most peaceful, happy time was when I gave it all up and I was a monk for those two years in my life. Simple. Simple living and high thinking. That's what Prabhupada said. So we get so overcomplicated. We overcomplicate everything in our fucking life. And it's really just, yo, get all that shit, shuck it off, boil the shit down to the bare necessities you need a roof over your head. You need, you need to do work on yourself internally, spiritually. You need food, good food to eat, and good friendships. Right, and that's the important things of life. All this other shit is bullshit. This, you know, this, ambitions and, r- and, and, and
0: possessions. Well, and Well,
1: you, yeah, sh- yeah. I mean, you know, everything in the material world is temporary. Right, right. Like, wh- why is, you don't see you no know, any any uh, luggage racks on Hearst's? Because as we say in the eggs, you came you come into this world with nothing except yourself. You leave with nothing except yourself. You know. And the wisdom that you gain, that's, it says in the Gita that whatever, to whatever state of consciousness one remembers at the time of death, to that state he attains at the beginning of his next life. So there's no loss or diminution on the path.
0: That was George Harrison, right? Trying to make sure that he died ascending. Well,
1: George Harrison, like people don't know the whole deal with him. Like he gave that temple to Prabhupada at the Bhaktivedanta Manor in London, and he was sold out to. He loved Prabhupada. His the Beatles went at first to Maharajani, India yeah. and saw him banging all these fucking disciples yeah, and all this yeah. crazy shit, and he's like, "This guy's full of shit." When he met Prabhupada, he surrendered to Prabhupada.
0: Well, his whole, he he wanted supposedly when he got stabbed, he was trying to to have that mindset so that when he would leave his body, he would be of the highest yeah. spot. But dude, thank it's you great so much, talk, man. I loved having you come in, and I loved that you got to meet my smiling father. Yeah, he's a happy
1: dude, man. He's a happy he's dude. Fucking great. Thank you, you, man. You know that's PMA. You you know I was watching this thing on on facial recognition and and how you can tell fake smiles and the eyes don't lie you can smile but the eyes right the eyes either smile the eyes, or they don't and that's why it says in the Vedas that the that the that the, the the eyes are the wind uh, the eyes the the, 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 the eyes are uh, the index of the mind okay like you really look in. that's why I look motherfucker's dead in the eyes you see and there's very few people that do that these days but growing up the way I did, you look a motherfucker dead in the grill and I do that shit, shit in New York. I'll be chained and I walk yeah. down the streets and especially with the brothers, it resonates with them because... The brothers will look at you.
0: I'm the, I'm the same. And way. I'm like, everybody else is looking down. What's though. up? Or
1: looking at their fucking device. And I'm like, yo, what's up, my man? Good morning to you, brother. Exactly. He's like, yo, God bless you, man. Peace to you, brother. I just
0: nod. You know what you I know, mean? Yeah. It's like acknowledging who we are in this world. Yeah, just what's up? Yeah. Thank like, you, man.
1: We're losing the connection between human people, man. Which and is everything. It's, it's and that's everything. What's the point without it? These 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 friendships that we have and these interconnections and. And when we had these things called conversations at dinner, you know, like, and that's why when I go out to eat with people, I collect the fucking cell phones. I'm like, right. give me your fucking cell phone. You're not gonna sit there fucking texting and, and doing all that
0: shit. Because connection, they say connection is the opposite of addiction. That's what everyone's yeah. saying. So there it that is. Yeah,
1: it is. Addiction, you wanna cut yourself off, and connection, you don't do that.
0: John Joseph, thank you for bringing the Dopey, man.
1: Thank you for having me. Right on.
0: There he is, John Joseph. For my money, possibly, you know, one of the fucking top five Dopey guests who really brought the Dopey. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Right at DopeyPodcast at gmail.com. And I want to just give a mention to Dopey Nation uh, superstar, superfan, fucking B. gets from the Upful podcast who actually suggested putting on uh, john joseph on and i figured that was just a stupid suggestion except that john joseph actually responded and came to my dad's house so thank you b so john joseph kind of blew my mind um his book is just like crazy town his book actually really reminded me it was i don't want to say it was triggering in that it made me want to get high but it was a little bit triggering in that it really reminded me of what it was like to be uh, on drugs and what it was like to sort of show up someplace with a bunch of uh, heroin addicts and share dope. Or He told this whole story about living in Rockaway Beach and when he first stumbled into this uh, junkie house and it reminded me. It just reminded me... I, I forget. The the built-in forgetter they talk about is a weird thing. For me, it's the fact that I often forget what my life was like uh, years ago when I was using. And that I put myself in crazy situations. That I wandered around New York with strangers. That I, I shot heroin with strangers all the time. And, um, you know, there's a certain cinematic beauty to it. But also, it's obviously deathly dangerous and it and it cripples the life you know i lost at least 15 years of my life to that uh but the book really takes me back the book is called uh evolution of a cro-magnon and uh it's amazing i totally recommend checking it out another thing that john joseph was talking about in the book that i want to make sure you guys understood about was this dude named HR and HR stood for human rights and HR was the lead singer of the Washington D C hardcore legendary band, The Bad Brains. So if you are confused about who HR was, he was the singer from The Bad Brains, so check them out. I was never a hardcore person. I've I've put off listening to Bad Brains my whole life. Um but I think I'm going to listen to them soon. I listened to John Joseph on uh, on Joe Rogan, and he told Joe Rogan, if you wanted to check out Bad Brains, you should check out their 1982 CBGB show on YouTube. So if you guys are curious, check that out. Check out the Chrome on YouTube or on Spotify. And here is an email. I don't want to say the woman's name because I don't know if she wants me to, and I hate uh, divulging uh, people's names when they don't want me to, but here's an email. She says, hi, Dave. I am not usually, and she actually wrote it to Instagram, but then she emailed it to me also. She wrote, hi, Dave. I am not usually a commenter on social media, but I have to give you a huge shout out for your podcast. I have recently started from episode one and got so obsessed with your show that I found myself missing it every day if I didn't listen to it. And then I couldn't stop listening to it. On and off all day between adulting. And that I think that means like being an adult. An addiction all its own, Dopey Nation style. I am currently only on episode 74, and I love Chris and you bantering with each other and just the dynamic you guys shared. It really goes to show how a relapse can kill any one of us if we're not careful. In about a week, I will have two years clean from crack, meth, and my main drug of choice, IV heroin. By the end of my using days, I was living out of a broken pickup truck on a moldy mattress in the back, stealing from dollar stores. Ridiculous and yet all so common. I met my now husband in treatment and we moved to a different state, dabbled a bit and got clean fully. We had a baby girl, we bought a house and now I'm going back to school to finish my degree and hopefully become a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. That's the goal. Mainly, I just want to say what you're doing is identifying with so many people and in a world that has so many addicts feeling alone, it is the best thing that you could offer. Keep it up. I now have a new addiction and I call it Dopey. Keep doing what you're doing and fucking toodles. Thank you. That means a lot. I have to say I've been hearing from a ton of people. I feel like I'm hearing from more people now than I've ever heard from and it's incredibly uh, satisfying. Uh, To know that the show does something for you The point of the show has always been That if you're a drug addict And um, that your life gets fucked up And that you can get sober And your life can get better And it doesn't erase the life you had when you were using And there's no point in feeling guilty or feeling shame But it's an experience that I had You know, I think back at all of the ridiculous things that I did and um, and I feel close to you guys because I, even the ones who are struggling, the ones who have a bunch of time, and it, and I think it really you know brings us together and it unites us. And I think uh, it's important to get past the past and uh, and not forget about what we did, good and bad. You know, obviously the dopey stories are awesome, and sometimes they're terrible. But that's how life is. Sometimes it's awesome, and sometimes it's terrible. That's my deep thought. From Dopey If you guys want to send in a voicemail Fucking record it on your phone And, um, and send it in You know I actually went to Katz's today uh, I've been doing catering like a fiend Every day as another fucking catering event We did this huge party today And I came back And Ishmael told me he missed you guys And he recorded a little voicemail So here's, here's Ishmael Hold on
2: Hello Dopey Nation I missed you this is Ishmael, uh, I hope everybody's cool, I'm so excited, uh, I, I've been busy, I like to keep myself busy, and uh, I like a lot of actions, and it's been a lot of action lately. Uh, the coronavirus, I love it. <laughs> what else do you love? Uh, The fight, the war between Iraq and uh, Iran and uh, the U.S. That's exciting. Uh, Exciting. And uh, the impeachment for my friend Donald Trump. And uh, hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.
0: So I love hearing from Ishmael on on the show. And if you guys were confused, he was saying how much he enjoys action. He enjoys the action of the coronavirus and the impeachment and the Iranian-U.S. standoff. Ishmael voted for Trump. Uh, don't don't give him shit about it, but he's probably the one of the few Egyptian waiters in a Jewish deli that voted for Trump. And uh, if you want to ask him, he would say, I love action. He just, he likes wild shit. And, um, you know, that's Ishmael, man. And uh, if you guys ever go to New York City and go to Katz's, you have to ask Ishmael to take care of you. And then uh, tell him that you like action and say, What is this, Martin Luther King Jr. Day or something? And that's, of course, Ishmael's uh, racist uh, rant against Martin Luther King Jr. Day. But don't hold it against him. It's just a joke. Um, in other more and more and more serious news, exciting news, uh, the Dopey Nation Scholarship has awarded the second scholarship to our friend Charlotte... She's going to go to uh, New Haven, Connecticut to a place called Turnbridge for long-term treatment. So let's wish Charlotte the best. And it looks like uh, Josh from Mountainside is going to get another scholarship to aftercare. And that blows me away. Uh, None of us, me or Chris, never could have imagined um, actually getting rehabs to help addicts like Chris and I you know, spent our our families spent money at rehab. It's like, we always laughed at the irony of us actually benefiting, uh, these kinds of places and, and helping people get clean after all of the chaos we caused. So I think that's pretty cool. And that's going to wrap it up from another edition of the dopey show. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Leave a review on iTunes, but please make it positive. I don't want to read any more negative reviews that I interrupt my dad too much. And, uh, and look at this. Finally, an episode that wasn't gay for all of you homophobes complaining about the gay portion of Dopey. This was an incredibly hetero, albeit possibly ultra-violent episode of Dopey. So look for some gayer episodes in the future, and, and not even a Jewish guest. So no gays, only one Jew... Because you never really know what you're going to get On the Dopey Podcast But I want to thank everybody for doing everything you do I want to thank uh, You know who you are Fucking Do I have to thank you guys all again? But I will I'm going to thank Sam I'm going to thank Sarah I'm going to thank fucking Aurora I'm going to thank Brad for doing nothing I'm going to thank the Facebook guys Fucking Andrew and Leah and Catherine And uh, Paulina And fucking my boy on, on, uh, Reddit fucking, uh, what's his face? Cormac. And I actually got an email from an old dopey fan, uh, a voicemail from the great Carnif in Canada. Um, so I'm excited for that. I'm wondering how many old school dopey listeners there are out there. And before we go, ah, there's this dude in Hawaii named Pete. And he writes me on Instagram and he's an old time dopey fan and he's been struggling and uh, he actually just got on methadone and um, he's looking for someone in Hawaii to take him to a 12 step meeting. So you're in Hawaii, reach out to me and I'll hook you up with Pete. There's your fucking shout out, Pete, you fuck. He's been begging me for a shout out forever, but he's a good dude and uh, I wish him well. And there's a dude in the dopey nation named Ben, Ben, And he sent in this version of of, If I'm Not Home, I'm Out Walking Around. And I told him I was going to play it. And he's reminded me very well to play it. So here it is. Uh, Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And so long.